on the cannery road Good luck down in Austin If it was easy, everybody would do it It's all just a part of the show Hey there, thanks for tuning in And thanks for telling a friend that you <laughs> Tuned in some Monday already That you hang out on the other side of Texas I'm your host, Jay West Texas Leeson Broadcasting from the Racer Car Wash Studios here at the historic AM580. Voted Lubbock's Best Wash Round for five years running. Stop in at one of five convenient locations like I did this weekend. Had the truck detailed back to top-notch shape there in the Tundra. Best Wash Round. Check them out at HubCityRacerWash.com to find your best location here in the Hub City or whenever you're visiting the hub city best wash guaranteed racerwash.com so i want to get in today we're going to have scott braddock coming up uh, the quorum report get into the insider intel down in the beltway in austin to cover some things that happened this weekend we'll be talking about mexico's new president and what we can expect on a statewide political front as leaders begin to take bear with with NAFTA and trade agreements with Texas growers and producers and manufacturers and what relations with Mexico could look like going forward. Also, today news that Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick has offered 10 metal detectors to school district that is reeling, that being Santa Fe's school district, still reeling from the school massacre and scott braddock will have the latest for us on those fronts that coming up with braddock on texas your thoughts as we go along 806-745-5800 you're welcome to text your thoughts in to that number 806-745-5800 if you're listening live here to the broadcast second half of the program we're going to bring you some audio that we got late on friday uh, state senator kel seliger was busy state senatoring and we got with him after six i've had people who said look i i barely caught some of that really interested in what uh, senator seliger had to say about the vet school and had to say about other developments as we're into the lull of the summer months heating up into the fall and then the legislature beginning in january so we'll bring you that audio here on the second half of the program best and worst of the weekend from the leasing perspective i mean interested to hear your best and worst too as we go along last week of course i was in i took a week and my wife, as listeners this program know, especially within Lubbock, that we run some leasing, charity leasing real estate uh, commercials on the program, which is a good thing business-wise. One LLC to the other, and then, you know, it all it all works out. We're capitalists there at the lease in Ponderosa. But charity's done really well with the real estate, and so we found a week where I was able to take off and just go get my 180 hours of of training in order to prepare for the real real estate exam and that's coming up and i just throw a plug in i'm not i haven't been asked to say anything but Tarek, t-a-r-r-e-c 
is a group that uh, works with the Texas Real Estate Commission in Lubbock, and they do a great job of preparing folks, uh, point you their direction if you're interested in taking an exam. So last week was kind of a blur, went into the weekend, had my eyes wider open, and one thing that I missed last week in the midst of amassing all my real estate examination credits was or course credits was the Lubbock Avalanche Journal ran an editorial cartoon last Monday June 25 in which there's a depiction of a white police officer shooting what looks like a 45 1911 a, a pistol and there's an african-american child in the distance that's jumping up in the air as though they've been shot there's no blood that's depicted in the cartoon but the the line there is meanwhile the cartoonist writes meanwhile far from the border children are being separated from their families now you've heard me say this before there are more aborigines in lubbock county than there are real liberals and I don't understand, I've not had conversations with people as to whether or not that was a corporate decision on down and they ran all those and all the newspapers that are owned by the parent company. I'm not sure how that went down. But what I do know is that it caused quite a ruckus in Lubbock. The AJ stood by it last week and then came back and wrote an editorial apologizing a very short editorial there on uh, Sunday and it says the Lubbock Avalanche Journal published an editorial cartoon this past Monday which deserves apology editorial cartoon caused hurt and anger for many in the community including law enforcement and we are regretful that we apologize for publishing the editorial cartoon and we regret that the cartoon does not depict the support for law enforcement that the AJ considers to be vital and important. Again, the AJ apologizes. leeway in places like Lubbock and Amarillo for such cartoons and I understand the context I went back and looked at the layout and it was run against an Ann Coulter uh, column so there you've got the the far you've got what many consider the Black Lives Matter movement to be an an asset within far left democratic ideals and then Ann Coulter and far right and uh, that you know there's just not a lot of context so in arguments in the public square there's not room for context and so the AJ decided to go ahead and write their apology worst of the weekend I came across this tweet Brandon Darby actually pointed it out to me And I don't know if you know who Alex Jones is. Alex Jones. This is some Alex Jones. I don't like them putting chemicals in the water that turn the friggin' frogs gay. Yeah. 
that's some Alex Jones. And I, uh, Alex Jones has said that he has insider information that coming up on July 4th, the Democrats, uh, American Democrats are going to launch the next civil war. And I, and look, my thing with Jones is this, at what point is this freedom of speech and when is it calling for fire or calling fire in a theater? And I don't understand the line there and that you can get people gun grabbing and this goes beyond i mean we've already had conversations about alex jones and jdm 15 they're coming to put you up in all the empty walmarts it's a chinese takeover run by barack obama and um fourth of july democrats are going to take over according to Alex Jones, the same guy who brought you again this. I don't like them putting chemicals in the water that turn the friggin' frogs gay! No. Uh, so I've gone from best uh, to word to... I don't know where I want to put the AJ editorial. Obviously, by me playing Alleluia, I think that they were right to apologize. And then jones being the worst this lebron james thing if i can just speak from the other side of texas about lebron james for a minute i look i understand he's going to la people are predisposed he's a lightning rod but here's my thing with the lebron james at the end of time is not that he's he's jordan or that he's kobe now kobe bryant michael jordan but look, we've watched this guy grow up. I remember watching him play in his first game. And everybody wondered, Carmelo Anthony or LeBron going to be picked first? They took LeBron. So we've watched this guy now for 17 years. And for all the bad that people can say about LeBron, and I'm off the train when we're getting into comparisons with Jordan. I don't think there is any comparison with where the sport is now. I don't think it would be anywhere near where it is now without Jordan in those years in the 90s but I will say this he's a family man and not to my knowledge has he ever been in trouble with the law or the league he's run himself with character and with with his own reputation and I think those things are admirable now my very best of the weekend was date night and whenever you're 39 and you've been married for 17 years you can get really excited about this but we went and watched won't you be my neighbor and i i want to highly recommend won't you be my neighbor and i'll talk more about it tomorrow but man my over under going in was was i gonna cry three times or five times i came in right at a hard three and it was really good. Alamo here in Lubbock runs a good production of that. And encourage you to go see it if you hadn't seen it yet. Really good stuff there. Is the editor of Quorum Report, Scott Braddock. How you doing, buddy? The Mr. Rogers documentary, which my daughter and I are planning to see this evening. Yeah. So you hadn't Did seen it Did you see yet. that this weekend? Is that what you were saying? Yeah, we went and saw it. It mm-hmm. was on my wish list. And, uh, yeah. Tears? Were there tears? Yep. Uh, three three I count good on cries that. in that. Three good cries. Okay. Yeah, I don't want to give up the spoiler. I'm going to review it tomorrow. But gotcha. I, man, I mean, a guy who was driven by principles and ideals and 
and in many ways helped shape a country and it was is really awesome to watch but uh away from the sentiment and into the brass tack politics as yeah, because when you get when you get to the brass tacks politics it's difficult to understand how mr rogers would have informed any of this yeah <laughs> or what he would have <laughs> it's had pretty to ugly to say about it's it. pretty yeah. ugly it's, it's really the photo negative of mr rogers these days yeah in this in this in this hood in this hood, in this Texas hood. Well, it is Braddock on Texas. I mentioned at the beginning of the program that Dan Patrick is pushing school districts to invest in school security. He went in and invested 10 metal detectors within the Santa Fe Independent School District. Is that right? He says that he is going to donate up to 10 metal detectors for the Santa Fe School District. Of course, this is where the massacre happened, and uh, there's been so much debate about what to do in the aftermath of that. And uh, I was told this afternoon uh, that the money for that will come from some of his own personal money, plus some of his uh, campaign account as well. That's my understanding uh, in reporting the story. Um, And uh, this is got a lot of people's uh, eyebrows up in Austin because, uh, look, if you if you say to school districts, uh, because the other part of his announcement was he's encouraging school districts around the state to go ahead and buy metal detectors and do certain things for school security, that they should go ahead and do that, pay for that, and then the legislature next year, this is Patrick's promise, the legislature will set up a grant program uh, where the school districts can retroactively you know, go back into funds they would have spent this year and request reimbursement from the state. Uh, well, there are some superintendents around the school, uh, around the state, who are probably laughing at that. Uh, number one, you have um, the uh, state right now telling uh, agencies to uh, cut their budgets 10 percent. Uh, and of course, you know we're looking at more austerity as far as the state budget is concerned. Uh, Hurricane Harvey costs and all that are going to factor into uh, what the state needs to spend out of its budget. Uh, and so the idea that the lieutenant governor can say, well, coming up next year, we'll set up a fund that will send money back to you, so you can go ahead and spend money now. I think there's an old saying, Jay, about uh, counting your uh, chickens uh, you know, before they hatch. <laughs> um, it, a lot of folks would say that's him getting out over his skis a little bit. Uh, we did see where the lieutenant governor's uh, opponent, uh, the Democratic nominee for lieutenant governor, said this was nothing but, uh, quote, do-nothing leadership. Uh, Mike Collier said uh, Dan Patrick's effectively blocked the prompt implementation of comprehensive school and gun safety measures that were developed in the immediate aftermath of the Santa Fe murders. Uh, Instead, he did what he always does, form a committee, ask for a report, and grind the progress to a halt. Uh, He also mentioned that uh, this committee uh, that uh, Patrick put together to recommend things uh, that the legislature ought to do, uh, he's saying that won't uh, have a report in time. Uh, for you know schools uh, schools when they reopen uh, later this fall so uh, a lot of political talk all happening within the context uh, of the larger national discussion about what to do about these mass shootings scott braddock here at the quorum report and uh, my takeaway from all that is forget the politics of it here's if we're gonna go ahead and and give the green light for school districts to spend money that they don't know that they have why not just have the plan on the table and bring everybody to Austin for a and I understand it's a million dollars but we at the same time a million dollars run a special session but at the same yeah. time you want all these school districts to go out especially the big huge school districts to go and make in investments and for them to be going in blind 
why not just call the special session? And that's my first question. And my second question is, Patrick is unabashedly saying that he runs the Texas legislature now and that he's got this plan. Go ahead and bank on it. Bingo. You put your finger right on it, Jay. It is, it's out of order, right? It's out of order to say that the school district should spend money and they can just count on the idea that the state is going to write them a check next year. Uh, when the lieutenant governor, uh, even though he does absolutely run the Senate right now, uh, and a lot of folks in Austin would tell you that the uh, Texas Senate, at least as constituted now, is a rubber stamp for the lieutenant governor. He does not run the Texas House of Representatives. He's not the governor. Um, now, it would be uh, not the best politics ever for the governor or whoever the next Speaker of the House is going to be to try to argue with Patrick about this. Uh, but one of the things, uh, you know, about the idea that they would reimburse school districts, but again, it's not a guarantee, and this is in an environment in which uh, schools are always having to cut from their budgets because of not having enough money coming in from the state. Um, the other thing about it is that, uh, you know, when you look at um, what may happen next year with the budget writing process, it's a lot like, and there was a lot of talk about this today after this announcement from the lieutenant governor, it's a lot like when the uh, lieutenant governor said that uh, school districts needed to be giving raises to teachers, put more money in the teachers' pockets. But, of course, where was that money going to come from? From the school districts. Um, so it's it's another promise here, uh, and we'll see whether it uh, gets kept. Uh, but I can imagine that if we were to poll school districts, and I'm sure that uh, on some level this is being done already, uh, because uh, local journalists around the state probably calling their school board members and superintendents, it would would not be a bad idea for maybe in the Lubbock ISD for people to ask this question of folks at the school district. Are you going to take the lieutenant governor up on this? And can you count on the idea that he would be able to make good on that promise and that everybody's just going to fall in line with whatever he says? And the other thing is, um, you know, back to the politics of this a little bit, the other thing is none of this has anything to do with uh, dealing with gun violence and everything to do with locking down schools. Uh, the, the, the focus of this being on school districts, um, you know, in the estimation of a lot of people, is just a misnomer. These mass shootings don't just happen uh, at schools. They happen at nightclubs. They happen at churches. As we saw last week, uh, we had one happen in a newspaper newsroom. Uh, so the idea that hardening schools is going to do, um, do the trick when it comes to gun violence uh, is laughable to a lot of folks. I'm, I'm going to have to put the inquiry in to the governor's office and lieutenant governor's office, but it sets up from, you know, Ted Mitchell, president of the Texas Tech Health Sciences Center, was you know, sitting right across from me uh, a couple of weeks ago, and he was talking about the program that the governor is touting to get licensed professional counselors into school districts to do what they've done around Lubbock and screened some... I believe it's uh, 40,000 students. Well, that's going to take some money. So if yeah. if there's a hardening versus psych evaluation in school districts, then you know maybe we should set a budget before we start asking people to go put it on a credit card. So. <laughs> yes, um, it's, uh, it's, it's an interesting way to govern. No. An interesting no that is that going to be the name of your book about this period in Texas history? <laughs> I don't know if interesting is I don't know if interesting is the way I'm going to uh, frame all this when it's said and done. Okay, so new elections in Mexico. We've heard 
preceding the elections. John Cornyn, I think, has been the most vocal. Greg Abbott. And this is typically the trend of things, that Cornyn will speak out, Abbott will speak a little less loudly, and then Cruz will speak a little less loudly than Abbott, but all concerned about NAFTA, all concerned about Texas business and trade. Uh, Given the elections talk to us about the elections what you saw go down and what the table looks like going forward well this guy who was just elected and by the way it was to no surprise i mean the polls showed that uh this uh, as they called him in the new york times this morning the failing new york times called him an atypical leftist uh this guy lopez obrador uh won the presidency in a landslide and he's basically the mexican leftist version of trump and that he is a change agent. That's the way he's so seen. The anti-Trump. Uh, people, uh, the anti-Trump, if you will. Uh, people in Mexico very upset with the uh, establishment, if you will, and, and following uh, the lead of a lot of people around the world, not just in the United States, uh, of choosing someone who is seen as uh, somebody who's going to shake things up, make things different. They're tired of um, that. You and Brandon Darby have talked about it a lot, uh, the rule of the cartels and the corrupt uh, government officials in Mexico. Uh, people down there want something different. Uh, but part of it is the fact that this guy has talked about trashing NAFTA and trashing our trade agreements uh, across uh, the three countries with Mexico, the United States, and Canada. Um, and we are absolutely caught in the middle, you know, as far as what people think in Michigan, uh, what people think in Ohio about these things. I don't care as much about that. I care about Texas. Uh, and, you know, the numbers are in. I mean, look, it, NAFTA is good for Texas, full stop. Uh, you know, the, the job numbers here, a million jobs in the state reliant on trade, at least about 200,000 of those are directly attributable to the North American Free Trade Agreement, uh, and that is spread all across uh, the largest 11 metro areas and the rural areas that go with them uh, in this state, uh, you know, since NAFTA was signed, including areas with export rate increases of 100 to 200 percent or more, those numbers from the Texas Association of Business, uh, and if you look at the way that uh, Texas and Mexico are now part of a seamless supply line uh, for companies like Toyota, for example, that puts parts together for pickup trucks, and then they bring them up to San Antonio, put the trucks together. There's a reason that Toyota's North American headquarters is in uh, the Dallas area. It just all makes sense. Uh, for us, it's been good. Uh, for other places, places that uh, were uh, the places that delivered the votes that President Trump needed to win the Electoral College, in some of those places, they've suffered some because of uh, the North American Free Trade Agreement. Uh, but uh, look, people down in Mexico questioning uh, whether or not we ought to continue uh, doing this. And the guy that they put in office, um, pretty much, even though he has different reasons, agrees with President Trump. Uh, now, I did see uh, this afternoon that uh, there were some business groups talking about the idea that, well, maybe this guy uh, is just doing all this for politics. Imagine that. Maybe that uh, some of the stuff he's been saying about free trade. Uh, is just to win the vote. Uh, this this afternoon uh, was from the Texas uh, Business Leadership Council. They had said that they would expect to see some initial fireworks. Uh, you know, as far as it comes to as far as uh, renegotiation of NAFTA, uh, but they do think that uh, this uh, this guy Lopez Obrador will eventually uh, prioritize the renegotiation uh, of the trade agreement uh, and try to get things uh, going and, and find some common ground with the United States. 
Scott Braddock of the Quorum Report. As we carry on here, last question for you. Mm -hmm. We saw some poll numbers out across the state last week showing some statewide races and then Senate race between Beto O'Rourke and Ted Cruz. Fairly tight. Paxton, according to the poll, is only up one point on his opponent, whose name I believe is Justin Nelson. Yes, sir. Okay. Thank you. I pulled Mm -hmm. that right out of my hat. Yeah, well, you, you know your stuff. But in the context of all of that, you've got three, four, you've got a lot of Supreme Court rulings coming down that really razz Democrats, and that's the mm-hmm. highest court in the land, and then Anthony Kennedy stepping down. Have you yeah. heard from Democratic consultants in Texas or party leaders on what the plan is going forward into the fall? Is it just let's hate Trump and hope that that gets people out to vote, or is there going to be something of substance? In some ways, it seems like the plan is to just hate Trump. I mean, we talked about the um, the anger at the Democratic Convention in Fort Worth, the state Democratic Convention, um, and we talked about the fact that uh, one senior Democrat had said to me that, you know, even though people are fired up, even though they want to take on Trump, there doesn't seem to be a central theme, a central message for Democrats going forward exactly what it is that they're going to do uh, to make people's lives better. Um, and the thing that they were organizing around during their convention uh, is these family separations on the border, uh, pointing to uh, President Trump and uh, his uh, policy uh, that led to the family separations uh, and the fact that he had uh, reversed himself or that he was, he was reversing himself uh, with that executive order. They were very angry about all that. Uh, but six weeks from now, is that going to be the big story? Uh, who knows? You know, Trump, I mean, it's already fading a little bit because of some of the other things you just mentioned. Um, the uh, The fact is uh, that at the top of the ticket, you have Beto O'Rourke, who is not trying to run a race like that, as we have talked about here on the program. Um, when he's asked about uh, his previous comments about maybe trying to impeach President Trump, if Democrats can take a majority on Capitol Hill, uh, O'Rourke has walked that back quite a bit. Uh, it was also interesting to see the way that his campaign orchestrated his comments, uh, O'Rourke's comments at the uh, Democratic Convention. He did speak, but he didn't say a whole lot of substance. Didn't even talk about his um, didn't even talk about his opponent, uh, Ted Cruz. Later mm-hmm. explaining that well, people at the convention know what they think about Ted Cruz. Uh, but most of the news coverage that weekend was about his protests down on the border. In fact. By the very next day, O'Rourke was back down on the border, you know, some 600 miles away in the El Paso area, uh, protesting against those family separations. And some folks, uh, some readers of the Quorum Report, had asked me by that Sunday, did he even speak at the convention? And yes, he had. It's just that those folks could be, you know, forgiven for uh, missing it uh, because uh, he was on to other things uh, before the, you know, before the gavel had really fallen, closing the convention out. Well, there he is. Every Monday. Scott Braddock, Braddock on Texas. Follow him on Twitter at Scott Braddock. Thank you, Scott Braddock. Thank you, sir. Talk soon. Yeah, we will. I've gotten a lot of requests. I've got a couple of emails over the weekend, some text. We want to hear that Kel Seliger piece again. We want to hear the senator's comments and what he has to say about the vet school about the back and forth between john sharp and myself yours truly in the dallas morning news so we're going to get into that when we went a little late on friday and took an interview with state senator kel seliger and he represents amarilla on down the texas new mexico line to 
Midland. He has some very interesting things to say. Was calling in from a was calling in from his cell phone, and so the quality is not great. Go ahead and turn up the volume. You'll want to hear this. State Senator Kel Selger. We have now online with us Brandon Darby, Jay Leeson taking you home on this Friday. Kel Selger. State Center, he, uh, it's the weirdest district in Texas. It's Amarillo and then goes down one county wide down into the basin. And uh, he is State Center Kel Selger. How are you, Senator? I'm fine, thank you. How are you? We, I know that you've been State Senator today. What you been up to? You know, it's just the usual interim stuff. Reading the things that, that people send us, the things that they're interested in. And and getting ready for the um, the session that starts in in January. It's sort of the summer doldrums, but there's still work to be done. Yeah, and speaking of the session to come, you a lot of people didn't think you could do it, but you pulled. I think this is the first time you've been on the show since your win. Congratulations, by yeah, the way. This is this is Brandon Darby. Congratulations, Senator. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Uh, a lot of people didn't expect you to walk away from that, a three-way primary, Republican primary, but you did, and uh, I think by 51, 52, uh, you walked away from that. It was, I had 50.4%, which is just what I needed to uh, avoid a runoff against two very well-funded uh, opponents. And I don't know if I walked away. I might have limped away, but uh, it was a win without a runoff, and, and I have an awful lot of people who worked very hard. Now, I have a question for you. When you said two very well-funded opponents, is it am I mistaken, or were they both funded by the same person? Uh, they were both Empower Texas um, candidates. But doesn't Empower Texas have one donor? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, they have one principal donor, yeah, but... Uh, they get money from the Wilkes Brothers, and we don't know where else they get money from because they are a dark money group, and they don't have to account for the money that, that they, when the money comes in, they have to account for how they spend it. So basically, not, basically you, I don't want to use that word, but you pissed off a billionaire, and he ran two people to unseat you with a, an unscrupulous group of people who uh, don't live in your district but tried to control who, uh, who you're your uh, community could have lead them and you survived it uh, without uh, you survived it even though you had that kind of money against you that's impressive yeah well thank you it was it was a real challenge and like I say an awful lot of people worked very hard and uh, not least of whom was was my wife who's a great campaigner and uh, we were very pleased with the outcome uh, how long have you been there? How long, have you, how long has he been? How long have you been in office, sir? I came in on Texas Independence Day of 2004. 2004. So you've been there that long. You've had all that time for your community to decide if they liked you or not, if you're good for them, to make some horrible mistake or something. And, and a couple of billionaires at best, maybe just one, spent all this money to unseat you, ran two people against you, and your community still chose you after knowing you all those years. That's kind of impressive, in my opinion. Well, I, I appreciate that. It's, it's part of sort of a, a new method now. People with a lot of money realize that they don't just have to contribute money to help candidates. They can essentially buy seats. And, and to be honest, I think they've been very successful. Well, well good on you. 
Good on you. Are we going to talk about this vet school? Yeah, we, we are. So, Kel Seliger, here's, I know that you've been in... I only have a certain amount of column space whenever I write something. And so I have to decide, in 800 words, what do I want to present? And so the way I went about it, I don't know if you've read it or not, but in the Dallas Morning News, I put out a piece about uh, just a chronology of facts of what's gone on since at least December 2015 and I didn't go into the background and you're welcome to here but you and Bob Duncan have been on this for some time since Independence Day of what did you say 2003 2004 since 2004 in the, the, the thought of, of large animal veterinary program um, I first, first started messing with it in, I think it was 2007. Okay. And, so, and, so, uh, but, look, so this is where, and you can bring that context to bear, but let me frame the question. I wrote that piece and was really surprised that I knew that A&M would respond, but I thought it'd be through like a vice chancellor of the lunch line or something like that. But it was John Sharp himself who responded. My first question to you is, how, no, it's not how, why is this vet school in stopping Texas Tech and its initiative in the panhandle so important? And two, why would the chancellor himself respond in his own column there in the Dallas Morning News? Well, John Sharp works very hard on all issues that, that involve Texanium, and, and I understand that and, and expect it, and he's done a good job as, as chancellor. Um, this is the first time in my experience, and I wasn't around for the whole Texas Tech Medical School thing, the first time during my tenure that I've seen people in one university oppose, actively oppose, um, a new program or something like that at, at another school. I just haven't seen it before. The University of Houston was not thrilled when the University of Texas originally announced whatever it was they were announcing in, in Houston, but did they actively oppose it, lobby against it, and things like that? No. So he's like, basically, and you can't say this, but Jay and I can say it, he's like a black walnut tree, you know? <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and he tries little plants that try to sprout up around him. He, they just they just can't, they, they put out some toxin that doesn't let anything around them grow. That's how I feel, like, living up here. You know, I had a, obviously, I don't have the, the resources of some or the, or the acreage. I have, like, a little over 10 acres and a cow, right? And um, when I first got my cow, I needed my cow, my, my milk cow, my jersey. I needed to find a, a large animal vet. And large animal vet after large animal vet said, sorry, we only see large herds. So there just wasn't that many of them. I finally found some good ones who who were willing to see a, the little guy, you know, and be helpful. I found one that was really good. I've talked about him on this show before, uh, at Caprock Veterinary Clinic, large animal veterinary clinic. And and that that guy Cody, he he was willing to come to my house and meet me on the weekends to help my cow when my when my little calf was sick and all these good things. But the problem is, is I started to realize that there just, there just weren't enough large animal vets in this side of this side of the state. And as I started to look into why, I started to feel kind of irritated. You know, the more I look into it, I, I, you know, I get irritated, and then I thought I thought, well, surely I'm going to learn more information and be less irritated. And the more I learn. The, the more irritated I feel about it, really. I kind of mm. I feel like it's very unfair. Um, 
I feel like it's 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 kind of like the walnut, like like poison in anything that tries to grow up around you. You see Texas Tech try to make some efforts, and then all of a sudden you see the thing going on and can't. You know, it just it just doesn't seem fair to me. Uh, what the hell's happening here? Like in layman terms for the average person, what the heck is going on? My discussions with with the A and M people, the veterinary medical people, it did not include John Sharp at the time. Was that that they felt that veterinary medicine should be the exclusive franchise of Texas A and M, and they have an excellent uh, vet school, no question about it. Well, I guess so. With all the resources they get, they don't have to share them. They've got a lot of money. All right, now Jay, I'm going to try to sort this out for the person who doesn't understand. Because when I try to explain to people, they don't get they don't get what I'm saying. What's your perspective here on what the heck's happening? In, in layman's terms, without getting all deep and in the weeds and... Uh, well, look, and Kel, you, you can respond to this or you may not. I shouldn't call you Kel. Uh, State sure. Senator Kel Seliger. You should just call him Senator on the, on the show, but I don't... It's hard... And look, and this is what really perplexed me was... I worked really hard, and all this stuff's on email record, and A&M can push me. Like, I took some digs from Sharp in that piece. He took some digs at me. That's fine. But if they want to say that I, I didn't reach out to Sharp, I did reach out to Sharp. And I was very emphatic and very persistent to try to get Sharp. Because what I said to them was, for Senator Seliger, for Brandon Darby in the audience, was I don't want to draw assumptions i want the the what when and why and how laid out by the chancellor and whenever the chancellor sends you a response like they sent me which is this the chancellor does not wish to comment on this at this time then you you're in a position to draw deductions and my deduction is two things one is Aggie pretense becoming an Aggie tradition, right? So, so some pretentiousness. Is this a point? Of, is, are we really marking our territory? And I'd love to hear Senator Seliger talk about how A&M got a law school. You want to talk about things that are unneeded in Texas right now. Sharp said, well, we don't need a vet school. Well, did we really need another law school? That's number one. Number two, and, you know, this is tinfoil hat, but I just wonder how much cloning has to play into this. And cloning, as you can go in, if you've got the market, the monopoly on uh, large animals, and you're able to do all sorts of, like, well, we're going to grow this mammal's heart in this mammal, and vice versa. How does that focus in the health sciences? And if you've got the market cornered on that, then maybe you do put your foot down. So is it pride or is it initiative, Kel Seliger, in your view? I think it's more territorialism than than anything else. I've read your piece. And I, and I read Chancellor Sharp's op-ed. One of the things he never says in there specifically why they do not want Tech to have this program. Um, when when I first floated the idea and then brought it to uh, Bob Duncan, uh, A&M said they were going to study the situation. And, and, and I think they did. But their actions to expand their, their vet school and, and all these other things really took place about the time that Peck announced that they were going to start a vet school. What John Sharp did not say in the op-ed specifically is why 
they don't want Texas Tech to have this. When uh, when A and M was uh, buying the Texas Wesleyan Law School, nobody at the existing law school pointed out that it was a law school that nobody needed producing lawyers that nobody needed, even though Texas Wesleyan I think was doing a good job of, of operating the law school. Um, when A and M decided they were going to put a program in the Rio Grande Valley, nobody said a word. And uh, it's it's just odd to see one university or system oppose uh, a new program at another university. Hmm. And, I, and I'm not sure I really get it. I think it's territorialism fed by enormous amounts of money. What's going to fix that? How's this going to go down? Like, what needs to happen here to where, you know, I don't mean, people don't understand this, but Texas is huge. Like, we're almost 800 miles across. I think yeah, if you did Beaumont or Orange, Texas to... To El Paso, I think it's eight hundred and something miles. You know, yeah, closer to L.A. than it is Orange or, or okay. Beaumont. But but here's my question then. My understanding, and this is the first time I've asked this on air and on record, but my understanding is that you and Duncan, this is from people who know the process, you and Bob Duncan, former state senator, I love it. Robert Duncan, who's now the Chancellor of Texas Tech, you tried to broker a deal with A&M to try to do a specialty large animal veterinary practice up in Amarillo, and A&M balked on it. Is that true, Senator Seliger? And I don't know. I wasn't involved in any negotiations with Chancellor Duncan, but at first, when, when I first thought we ought to have a new medical school, it was Chancellor Duncan's idea that what we really needed was a large animal program that would be part of of A and M's med school. Was was Sharp and, ever approached with that idea? Oh, you'd have to ask Chancellor Duncan. This was pretty much having to do with the operation okay. of, of the tech system. But originally, um, Bob Duncan was, was an opponent of a program. What's interesting here, the, the big winner here is going to be West Texas A and M, and I'm enthusiastic <laughs> about that because they have excellent agricultural programs. And Texas Tech was going to make substantial use of, of the resources that already exist in the panhandle. It was going to be a really good cooperative sort of... But could they still? You, you say that in past tense, but could they still? Oh, sure. Anything is still possible, but but I, I don't think the A&M system at this point is going to let a and uh, West Texas A&M really collaborate all that much with Texas Tech. It's it, it, it's a shame because it works. The geography works really well. West Texas A&M has great large animal programs, and probably the, the, the what's going to be the world's leading meat science program uh, in in the new facility that, that Bob Duncan has has helped helped us do because it was with money. When you say what's going to change things, Jay, what will change things given what the city of Amarillo has done in terms of inducements? is if we can get some money into the uh, uh, budget for Texas Tech and they get going, and once they have a school of veterinary medicine, the adverse effect on Texas A&M will be absolutely nothing. Hmm. Okay, so before we go further, in that interview with Kel Silger, by popular demand, we continue on with our pre-recorded interview with Kel Seliger. Your thoughts, 806-745-5800. Pick back up now. 
How much more time do we have together? Eh, I mean, we've got about three, four more minutes. Go ahead. Uh, Senator, let's talk about poverty a little bit. Like, you're in the, up in the panhandle. What, what regions of your, of your, of your district are, have the most poverty or have the, most, uh, you know, econ- the, the least economic opportunity? Do you know, do you, would it be the, the far west? Is that right? I'm not sure. It, it, uh, there are pockets of poverty in every community, and, and how to, to most broadly characterize that, I don't know that I can. Uh, but don't you have a lot of like low-income agricultural counties in your district? Like, in that, am I right here? No, or is that... no question. You know, the average uh, annual salary is is on the low end. Yeah, but I don't know exactly what those are factually. But yes, they exist. You know, I'm gonna start. I'm gonna start digging, and I'm not. I'm not saying that to knock you, as though you're a state senator and you're supposed to f- fix poverty in your district by any means. Uh, I'm just so interested in it. You know, I'm, I'm. I've become very interested in. In uh, you know, I live in Hockley County, and Hockley has its own issues with with resources. You know, sure. um, and so I'm. I'm very interested in 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 the a lot of the rural counties, and what better place to start uh, looking at rural counties than than a. Uh, uh, rural counties that are in a district of a state senator I like a lot, you know? Well, the, the answer to poverty in, in the broad sense is education. And and I serve on the committee of, of, of public education. I chair the committee on higher education. And uh, the big push all over, not just in, in my district, but all over, is to make education available, keep kids in school with expanded career and technical programs, what we used to call vocational programs. And I think we're, we're making progress, but the challenge will never go away. Hmm. That's just kind of going to be there, isn't it? Always, yes. Yeah, so uh, Kel Seliger, as we close out with you, one thing that I think people noted, and this is, um, whenever I say people, I mean, people on the inside. And I've had, in the past couple of weeks, I've had Scott Braddock, a quorum report on this program, and Ross Ramsey on this program, the Texas Tribune. And Ross asked the question in the column, what are we even doing anymore with these state conventions, with these political parties? Because it's just a bunch of insiders who get together and they decide all these things. And that was Ross's point of view. I think it's fair to, to paraphrase him saying that. But for some people, you weren't at the Republican convention. And, of course, these things are divided up by Senate districts a lot of times. Was that intentional on your part? Or did you voluntarily not attend the Republican convention? Is this some sort of reaction from a lot of the power players in that room trying to take you down in the primary? No. In fact, my county uh, uh, chairman asked me if I could go and asked me if I wanted to be a delegate, and I, I plan to. Uh, my children both live in Houston, and I had a chance to spend about five vacation days with the family, and uh, those opportunities can be kind of rare. It was a family decision and nothing else. I had intended to go to the convention. That's, 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 you know, I, I chose not to go to the convention and it was not a family decision. <laughs> <laughs> I was kind of miffed and put off over the last one. You know, I, I just, I try to, you know, like, I like you, I like Jody Arrington as people, right? Like, I, I don't know all your policies. I don't know if I agree with everything or with Jody Arrington or whoever, uh, whomever, but whoever. But um, 
the bottom line is, is, is I try to avoid people in politics as much as possible unless I find out they're a nice person, right? Mm-hmm. But but I generally try to avoid people in politics, and it's kind of weird because I'm like a person in leadership of Breitbart, but I, I really do try to avoid politics. And and so I wouldn't have blamed you if you avoided it, but but, uh, but I do I mean, think it's the family thing. I believe that. that the makes sense. question is, why are we having these conventions? Well, there will be an awful lot of office holders come January that they will take certain stances and say, this is the, the, the platform of the Republican Party and we're going to follow it, and and I respect that. Well, there's some things that I agree with and some things that I don't agree with, necessarily in that, that platform. And um, it's, uh, people would like re- the people would like politicians to follow those things to the letter, and they get a bunch of people to do it. I'm just not that kind of person. Ken, well, the last question I have for you as you get off with us here. R.G. Ratcliffe was on the show yesterday. I asked him point blank, you know John Sharp, you've been following this a long time. What was the motivation behind John Sharp? I did not write that column as a tech insider. I wrote it as a prairie populist, matter of fact. Mm-hmm. That, you know, I feel like there are, there are funds in the state that aren't allocated equitably and fairly. And, uh, Whenever I was told that John Sharp would be responding with his own column, I asked I asked R.G. Ratcliffe, Texas Monthly senior political writer with the Texas Monthly, why he thought John Sharp. It wasn't through like a vice chancellor or anything else. As I said earlier, it was John Sharp himself. He said he thought it was because John Sharp has thin skin. Uh, has that been your experience with John Sharp? <laughs> I don't know that that has been my experience. I think that the article you wrote uh, touched a chord with John Sharp. Okay. And and I, I think in a lot of instances, and I really don't argue with this, he finds himself the best advocate of or defender of Texas A&M. And so he felt like this required him, him weighing in. Um, and, and, you know, a and really doesn't have a stronger advocate or supporter than John Charles. Now, look, and one line I took out of the piece, because you can only go at 800 words, but it was, I think, next to revelry, John Sharp might be the most identifiable symbol associated with that university. And I and I mean that with all the... Like, I try to stay away from the whole, like, Aggies are dumb and Aggie joke stuff. I, I don't want to get caught up in all that. Because, matter of fact, a lot of the most successful people I know are Aggies. And, they are. And I, I don't try to get caught up on that. Which was surprising to me because he ended the column by saying something that we would hear, like, R.C. Slocum say in the late 80s, uh, former A&M head coach... Well, if we have a rivalry with Texas Tech, we were not aware of it. Uh, I just, I, I thought, I didn't think that Sharp did himself any favors in the way he responded. The short way of saying that. Yeah, it's, it's Jay. I think you might be a little bit of an irritant. Probably not the first time that you've heard that. <laughs> <laughs> he is. Well, go ahead. <laughs> I, that's, that's all I, I think it was. And quite frankly, I don't think anybody does a better job of advocating positions of the Texas A&M system or Texas A&M than, than, Sharp, than John Sharp does. It's really didn't come as a big surprise to me. Yeah. 
He is state senator out of Amarillo in Midland. He is Kel Sawyer. Senator, thank you for taking time. We know you've yeah, been busy thank you. today. Appreciate it. Thank you. I'm sorry I came in so late, and we'll do it again sometime. But thank well, you both for having it's me. It's bonus time with Kel Seliger. Thank you. I've never been referred to as a bonus before. <laughs> <laughs> you are now. That was our interview here on the other side of Texas with Kel Seliger. You're interested in regional things, local things. You can get your mind off uh, federal and beyond. Well, this is a place to get that done. And I want to close out a couple of uh, housekeeping notes here i've been promising the mailbag we're going to get in that also miss my worst of the weekend radio mistake here richard overton is 112 years old world war ii vet the oldest vet still alive and the oldest american and somebody hacked into his funds we're going to get into that tomorrow and talk about how you might be able to participate in throwing a couple of bones towards Mr. Overton. Also on the housekeeping front, Wednesday and Thursday, there will be no edition of this program. We are going to take off and celebrate America. Um, so we won't be on air on Wednesday or Thursday of this week. And one other note and this is for all of you who are in the advertising marketing world. You, you always see these ads on Facebook. Stay at home and make a lot of money. We, uh, we've got the diagnostics. We know how, how well listened to this program is. And I've got a job and I've got a family. And I don't have time to do the marketing. We're looking for a couple of people to do marketing here on the other side of Texas. And it just requires us giving you the materials and you making the calls and some good commissions there if i can if i can disclose that on air uh shoot me an email j j a y at other texas.com if you love the program you want to see it continue on and be successful j at other texas.com is the way to get it uh get me that information and i'll follow up with you in a phone call and again the other side of texas is sponsored by the law firm of mullen horden brown llp with offices in lubbock amarilla and dallas employing creative legal solutions to address your business needs in the areas of commercial litigation banking financial restructuring employment law and estate planning thank them for being sponsors of the program and now i've got to get home i'm gonna get home to an above average dinner and a great family thank you for tuning in you can find all of this audio up on other side of texas on apple podcast don't hesitate to leave us a rating preferably a good rating and a review there other side of texas on facebook twitter at ostx show and othersideoftexas.com. That'll sign us off on a Monday. We appreciate you tuning in and uh, hope that you will tune in with us tomorrow. Here as we head into America's Independence Day. It's who we want to be. See you tomorrow right here. OSTX. Appreciate you listening.